Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nothing sets us off better than, and transition just from worship, than that video. Um, and it raises a very interesting question. What do you do when you fail? <laughs> what do you do when you make a mistake? What do you do when the things that you think you're chasing are going to lead in a certain direction? What do you do when you actually hit roadblocks, when you hit mistakes in your life? Well, we're going to open up a passage this morning that talks about a major mistake that David made. It's in Psalm chapter 51. And what's amazing about this section is that literally we see one of the biggest mistakes David ever made in his life. And we get to watch a man walk through it. So if you have a Bible, Psalm chapter 51, I'm going to read it for us and then we will jump in. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. Actually, I'm going to read the the pre-verse part. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltless. 
blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation in my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered at your altar. Well, how do you deal with the fact of the situation when you blow it? How do you deal with it when you blow it? Do you hide it? Do you forget it? Do you cry about it? Like, is, is, that, is that kind of your role? Like, uh, you know, being called Captain Poopy Shoe and such? How do you deal with it when you blow it? What's amazing about this psalm is that we get literally an, a diary entry into the life of David. Psalm 51 is that moment when he is talking with God about the biggest mistake that he ever made in his life. And if you're familiar at all with, with the life of David, you'll be familiar with a moment in his life, and it's called David and Bathsheba in your Bible. It's the moment when he saw a woman taking a bath across the way, Bathsheba, and he saw her and thought she was cute and said, how about you bring her over to my place? And the king basically could do what he wanted. And so she was brought into him. He had relations with her and she became pregnant. And to cover his tracks, he sent messengers to bring her husband in. And he got Uriah to hit, the Hittite to come in. And he said, okay, you, you kind of go into your, with your wife. And he's literally trying to cover his tracks. But Uriah comes back to him and says, I, I'm not going to go do that. My men are at war. And I'm not going to have the pleasure of my wife while my boys are at war. And so he literally slept uh, in front of the palace on the floor. And so David realized, I can't cover my tracks. What am I going to do? And so he calls his journal and says, hey, send him to the front lines and you send him out in front of everyone and then y'all pull back. And he did and Uriah died. And then he took Bathsheba to be his wife. And it was a horrible moment. It was a horrible moment with the people of Israel. But at the same time, David felt like he was, this event was behind him. Like he kind of covered his tracks. He was in a good spot. And then all of a sudden he gets confronted by Nathan the prophet it stinks when one of your good friends is named Nathan the prophet because the prophet knows what's happening. And so he goes to David and he confronts him and he tells him like a, a story. He says, I, I just want to tell you a story about a, a guy. And he had, he, had two sh- he had just one sheep that he loved. There was a rich man and he had tons of sheep, and, but there was one poor man and he only had one sheep that he loved and cared for and, and raised. But the rich man came and took that one sheep into his house and left that other man empty. And David hears the story, and he gets into the mix of it, and he's like, who is that man? Bring him here! And Nathan looks at David in the face and says, you're the man. And he's outed in front of his kingdom, in front of everyone. He's found out. What is he going to do in this moment? What do you do when you've blown it? I think if you're like me, you kind of want to cover it up, right? You kind of want to hide that moment from your life. But could it be that some of your worst mistakes could be one of the greatest things that happens to you and to others? 
Could it be that hiding your biggest mistakes, although embarrassing, although defeating, aren't, aren't the worst things that it could ever happen to you? I mean, think about David. His worst mistakes are recorded in the Bible, right? One of the best-selling books of all time. Can you imagine if your worst mistakes were recorded in the best-selling book of all time? That would be rough. But it actually wasn't, it isn't a moment to, to regret what happened. It is actually a moment to say, to look at his flaws and to move forward. What we get from looking at this psalm in the life of David is, is his relationship with God in the midst of the biggest mistake of his life. And we see that David does four things when confronted by his friend. The first thing he does this is he owns it. Then he receives it. Then he celebrates it. And then he embraces it. He owns it. He confesses his sin. He receives it. It's cleansing from God. He celebrates it. He celebrates God's forgiveness. And he embraces it. He embraces a life of brokenness. And I'll tell you what, if we are people that want to be men and women after God's own heart, we also need to respond like David did in this moment. And your biggest mistakes don't have to be your biggest regrets. They could point everyone to a creator that loves you. So the first thing that we see David do in verses one through six is this, he owns it. Verse one says it this way, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And then he says this amazing thing in verse three. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. The first thing that David did is he owned it, and we need to own it. There's uh, children that, or scientists that study uh, children and the, how they respond to a simple apology. And what was interesting is that they, they set up this scenario in which one person, one child, wouldn't share toys with the other children. And so all the children were kind of mad at the one kid who wouldn't share, was kind of clutching onto his thing. And, and then the researchers watched how the children responded. And the children that responded to this, it says this, in one such study, a group of four to seven-year-olds received an apology from a child who failed to share while the other group did not get an apology. The participants who received the apology felt better and viewed the offending child as nicer as well as more remorseful. And then they set up a second scenario to feel, see how children would respond in this moment. And, and <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. They had one kid building blocks with a team of people. And then they had one bad kid come in and knock over the blocks, which... I love child psychologists. I mean, I, they, they kind of think of ways to annoy children and then kind of ma you know, see their responses. So I, I can't imagine pulling that one kid aside and being like, okay, they're going to build something they really like. And I want you to go in there and destroy what they love. You know, like, what, what is this child psychologist doing? But apparently that's what they set up. And so that other kid walked in, knocked it over, and it was the same sort of deal. Some apologized, some didn't. And what they saw in this is that exposed in children that they want an apology. It says the apology had an impact. Children who got an apology were more willing to, to share more and they were also act, more active to stick around with this person that even destroyed their little fun moment. See, we need a simple apology. We need people to own it. Companies need it to move forward. Um, Har Howard Schultz stepped down from, uh, from Starbucks in 2000. And in 2008, Starbucks took a huge dive as a company. And so Howard Schultz came back in and stepped into the company, and he writes this. 
we had to admit to ourselves and to the people of this company that we owned the mistake that we made. Once we did, it was a powerful turning point. It was like when you have a secret and get it out. The burden is off your shoulders. He's saying, I couldn't move forward in this company until we admitted that we had made some mistakes and were able to move forward. And there's three places where we have to admit it. The first place is this, to admit it to yourself. To admit that you actually owned the mistake that you made. I was watching a YouTube video with a, uh, it was probably about a four-year-old kid who was standing in front of a mirror and there's lipstick all over the mirror. And the mommy comes up and she's videoing this. She goes, she goes, what happened? And the little boy looks kind of stunned and goes to the side and he goes, Batman did it. <laughs> Mommy's like, okay. And, but uh, it's funny when it's a little kid, but you see this with your roommates, right? There's one roommate that for some reason, everyone cleaned the dishes, everyone cleaned the house, and there's that one roommate that always stacks the dishes back in the sink, and you're like, okay, everyone, we're going to have like a, a house meeting, and you get everyone together. You're like, okay, let's just talk about how we interact as roommates. Now, someone filled up the dishwasher again, and they cooked spaghetti last night, and they, uh, and they ate that spaghetti, and they didn't share that spaghetti, um, and uh, they didn't clean up their dishes from that spaghetti. So I just want to talk to us about roommates, about how we can clean up our spaghetti plates, you know, and, and, and as you kind of are in that moment, that one person's like, I don't know who did it, man. Someone, y'all need to figure it out, and you're just like, why won't you just own it? Because you can't move forward unless that person is willing to admit the mistake to themselves. And what David says in verse three is this, I know my transgression and my sin are ever before me. He owned his own mistake to himself. But secondly, he admitted it to God. In verse four, he says it this way, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He says, my sin against people is ultimately against God. Is that true? Is my sin against people ultimately a sin against God? Let me explain it to you this way. If you were to come over to my house, my son Micah had a five-year-old birthday party this weekend. We had a bounce house and uh, a superhero party, and it was awesome. We trained them to be superheroes, and then they threw water balloons at me and sprayed me with silly string. It was all lots of fun for a bunch of five-year-old boys, okay? And so we're there at the party, but if you came, if I invited you over to my party, and you said, okay, we're going to do superhero training, that's going to be great, and you punched Micah in the face, that would be mean. That would be wrong. And if you said to my son, hey, I'm sorry, buddy, that I punched you in the face. I just, you know, your face looks squishy and I wanted to punch it. (laughs) And you only apologized to my son. That is not the only person you had wronged in my house. You would also owe an apology to me because that's my kid, right? The people of the world are God's kids. He loves them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son to whoever would believe in him could have eternal life. But he loves the world. He loves people. And we, we sin against God's kids. It's also a wrong to God. And so not only do we need to admit it to ourselves, we got to admit it to God. God, I've wronged you in this decision. And thirdly, you must admit, we must admit that there's a deeper problem. In verse 5, he says it this way. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, I've been a sinner since the beginning. 
from the moment I was in my mother's womb, there was something broken in me. And you've got to know this. There is a deep stain within every one of us that most of us don't want to admit, but there's something deeply broken within us. I remember several years ago, it was about three years ago, my boys were playing on the couch, and my son had a spatula that he was pretending was a guitar, right? And so he's having so much fun running around, playing the guitar, dancing around, because that's what my house is like. And, and as he's running around dancing, he's having a great time, and he jumps onto the couch, and his younger brother goes to take the spatula slash guitar from him. Oh, no. And Micah goes, no, and rips it from his hand, and then rears back and slams him across the head. Jesse goes tumbling to the ground. And so I'm in the kitchen watching this thing play out. And you know those like slow-mo moments? You're kind of like, is this really going to, oh no. You're right, that was that moment. And, and all I hear is this crack and blood spew as Jesse falls to the ground. And he doesn't even start crying. He's in shock. And then Micah just watched what he did and just balls like, ah, I don't know what I did. And I'm like, what just happened? And it's one of those crazy moments. You're like, I don't even know how to respond here. He's screaming. And even though he's not injured, he's bleeding and going to die. What are we going to do here? And as I look at my, my son, Micah, I honestly spent more time comforting Micah for his mistake than Jesse, who was bleeding out of his head. And there was something within Micah that said, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe that there was something within me that wanted to respond in that way. And I think what David is looking at is, is, is this mistake that he had orchestrated, the death of a person. And he says, I can't believe that was in me. But the first step is this, to simply own it. Own it to yourself. Own it to your God. And admit there's deep stain within each one of us. But not only do we own it, secondly, we receive it. The next move that he makes in this section in verse 7 is this. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He says, he really prays for two things. The first is this, that, he would, that God would own or that God would cleanse him. And the, the first thing he says is that he would purify me with hyssop. Hyssop was what a priest would use. He would dip a branch in, in water and he would offer cleansing to someone offering a sacrifice. And then he says a second piece, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You see, when we are confronted with our sin, it feels like something breaks within us. But a good surgeon knows the right bones to break to bring healing. I had a friend of mine in, in high school. He was a sophomore in high school, and he had his two legs. Um, the shin part was, was bent, and so that it would be causing him pain as he was playing soccer. And one day, all of a sudden, he says, yeah, I got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. It's going to be really hard. And I'm like, well, well what's going on? He's like, yeah, my, my bones are curved. And so the doctor has to break both of my shins and reset them in order for them to go straight. Otherwise, the pain will always be present in my legs. And I'm like, well, how's that going to go? He's like, uh, it's going to hurt. And I remember watching him the next day. They, they broke one leg at a time. 
And so they broke his right leg and literally they put like this large metallic contraption around his leg. And this sophomore guy, you know, 15 year old in high school was walking around with a cane all around school. And I'm like, I'm like, are, are you mad? And he's like, he's like, he's like, no, he, he's fixing me. It hurts, but it's fixing me. And then I watched the next part of which they would break his other leg. They broke that leg, reset it, and it was literally a year of a of process of breaking and resetting his bones to make him walk straight again. Oftentimes what God will do is he moves in and breaks in order to heal. He will expose some of the darkest parts of you, but it's when they're exposed that he's going to move in and, and bring healing. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm the great physician, Right? I sent Nathan to you to expose this problem and he'll do the same thing with you. You know why you have roommates at this season in life? Because God has a great joke on you. Because all of us think that we're okay. But it's when you get some roommates around you, you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not as nice as I thought. <laughs> I'm not, I want my milk more than I want their, a relationship with this person, you know? I want my Cokes in my refrigerator more than I want with this person. And when you get married, <laughs> you will get to grate on people that love you too much to leave you as you are. And they will begin forming and shaping you. And God puts those people to expose some things into you. And it's, it's, the purpose is to reset us. But it's also, secondly, to restore us. In verse 10, he says it this way. He says, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What is he asking for? He's saying, God, I haven't been right inside. I have a spirit that doesn't like you or doesn't like your things. Restore to me the joy of what it's like to walk with you. Restore to me the joy of being saved by you. Give me the ability to do the things that deep down I really want to do anyway. Because the truth is this, we don't always want to obey God. St. Augustine says it this way, Lord, command me what you will and will what you command. Command me what you will, but create in me a desire to do what you command. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed me, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's the key. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what's the responsibility? Is it God's responsibility to will in you the desire to follow him? Yes. Is it yours? You bet. Verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a man responsibility and a God responsibility. And here's the great part of what God does in the life of the people he loves. He puts his spirit in you to change your heart to want to follow him. When you believe in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit residing in you. But there's a part that you have to play. We can literally quench the work of the spirit in our lives. We can reject the counsel of God. And so the second part is for us to literally pray, God, give me a spirit that wants to follow you. Give me the desires that wants to 
accept this correction and move in a new direction. So secondly, not only do we need to first own it, but secondly, receive it. And thirdly, to celebrate it, to embrace the forgiveness that we've received. Verse 13 says it this way, then I will teach transgressors their ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth and will declare your praise. He says, thirdly, we need to celebrate the fact that we've been forgiven, which is hard. Because what I'm asking us to do is to go down a path to to own our mistake to receive forgiveness from God, cleansing from Jesus, and thirdly, to celebrate the fact that, that we've made a mistake and that's a story we need to embrace. But you realize that the stories you tell yourself are that literally shape your life. There's a psychologist named David McAdams at Northwestern University, and he literally studies how stories shape us. And he says this, Stories help us smooth out some of the decisions that we have made and create something that is meaningful and sensible out of the chaos of our lives. Isn't that interesting? He says the stories you tell yourself help make sense of the chaos that you engage in. And then one psychologist says it this way, Laura King. She says it's possible, however, to jump to the happy endings too quickly. The ability to take some time and experience grief or unhappiness improves your ability to appreciate the world you live in. And they culminate this little article um, by the American Psychological Association with this. Stories are narratives that shape us. We don't just tell stories, stories tell us. They shape our thoughts, our memories, and even change how we live our lives. Storytelling isn't just how we construct our identities, stories are our identities and your stories of God's forgiveness of you are important for you to verbalize because it it drives that nail a little deeper into your heart. You recite, yes, I was wronged, but I am forgiven. You see what David says? He says, if you cleanse me, I'm going to tell everyone. If you cleanse me, I'm going to celebrate this. I'm going to shout this out. I'm going to shout your praise to the nation. If you cleanse me, this is my response to you. See, it's not only mentally that David would recite this in front of everyone. Secondly, he says, I'm going to speak my greatest mistake to the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your deepest regrets being something you share with others? But I tell you what, if you're willing to, your greatest mistakes can become your greatest ministry. When I was in college, um, there was was a group of people that came in and the organization was titled The Power of Porn. And there was a guy uh, who had become addicted toward pornography and had gone all the way to a terrible place where he abused um, a woman and spent time in prison. There was also a woman there who was uh, a, a prostitute and a, and a dancer. And these two people came in and started sharing their stories of the brokenness that they had engaged in and the forgiveness that they had received from Christ. And there was a bunch of 20-year-old dudes sitting in that room, all of which had made huge mistakes. 
and lustful thoughts, lustful ideas, who are sitting to this, looking at this man and looking at this woman going, maybe there's forgiveness for me too. I tell you what, you want to make a small group go deep? You celebrate the forgiveness of God. I have friends of mine that uh, they go to Celebrate Recovery, which, which meets here. And as they go to Celebrate Recovery, I remember one guy, he says, yeah, I've been, I bounced to a bunch of different small groups, and then I went there. And it was a no BS zone. They walked in and they sat down and the leader of that group said, hey, here's me. Here's my struggles. Here's what I've walked through. Here's the drug addiction that I've had. Here's the other addiction that I've had. Here's the problems that I've walked through. And that small group leader exposes some of the deepest sins that they want to keep hidden to this group of strangers for the first couple weeks. And I remember my friend went there and he said, it is the most honest place I've ever been and is the place that I feel like I can get healed. See, honesty not only is something that we need to express ourselves, it's something that can be the greatest ministry that you have. You can help others. We need not only to own it, but celebrate God's forgiveness. We don't celebrate our mistakes. We celebrate a God who loves us even in the midst of our darkest moments. And fourthly, we embrace it. We embrace it. We embrace the fact that we are imperfect people. David says it this way. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is kind of a a challenging verse. Because the people of the Old Testament were told to offer sacrifices for sin. They were given Leviticus and Numbers to show them, here's how you offer sacrifices to make yourself right with God. And then David kind of goes counter to that. He says, what you don't want is a bunch of bloody bulls and goats. That's not the goal that you have, God. What do you really want? You want a heart that embraces the brokenness that we have and our distance from you. That's what you really want. See, God doesn't want you to come in here and just look pretty on the outside. God wants to reach into your heart and say, that's what I care about most. I want to reach right into your soul, into your heart, and make that clean. It's not enough to be clean on the outside. God wants to go all the way to the inside. And I tell you what, if you embrace that, that we are broken people, we are the walking wounded, God says, those are the people I will spotlight to the world. Those are the people that will make the biggest difference in this world. People that embrace their brokenness. And I'll tell you what, you love people that model this. We don't love primarily invincibility. We embrace vulnerability. We love people that have made amazing mistakes and we watch them walk through it and come out better on the other side. We need We love people that don't merely show us invincibility, but embrace their vulnerability. And we've seen it in our movies. Tony Stark, right? So the first Iron Man movie. Billionaire playboy, brilliant beyond all imagination, can create amazing things, sleeping with all sorts of people and just blowing money, like having a good time. At the beginning of the movie, he's riding in a Humvee out to sell some weapons to some people. He's drinking like Cristal and like having a great time, right? And he's chilling there, and all of a sudden, bombs come in, blow up his little Humvee, and he's taken into a cave. And what he didn't realize is that he had been betrayed by his best friend, the co-owner of the company. 
And as he's sitting there literally in a cave, all of these pieces start coming together. I've sold my weapons to the enemy. And because I've been so self-absorbed and self-obsessed, I didn't realize that I was spreading chaos around me. I didn't know. And in that moment, in that cave, he begins consciously to start making some changes. And then he crawls out of this cave, but more than the cave of confinement, he begins to literally start crawling out of the cave of his own self-obsession. He comes out, and, and there's like this moment of honesty. He's sitting in front of the press, and he's like, I've made a lot of mistakes. I can't believe that's who I was. And you watch him make this transformation over time. And see, you love Iron Man. I love Iron Man, not because he's brilliant, but because he's honest. I love him because, not because of all of his mistakes, but because he's the one that saw his mistakes and saw, I want to be someone better. I want to be on a different journey. And that's what the world needs to see. Not people that are perfect, but people that are vulnerable and honest about who they are. In Forbes magazine, there's an article that talks, talks about leadership. And they write this, vulnerability is a sign of leadership strength. Yet many leaders are tentative to reveal what has traditionally been viewed as weakness, too concerned with how they will be perceived by others. But this creates a real barrier between leaders and their teams at a time when more and more people want to relate to their leaders as individuals and want to know that their leaders have experienced the same problems and overcome similar obstacles to get where they are today. You want your leaders to show their vulnerability. And when you do, it shows a beautiful picture to the world. There's a, there's a Japanese art called kintsugi, something like that. If you're Japanese, I'm sorry I blew that pronunciation. And it's this process of making pottery. And if you look at the pot, you can see that there's pieces, pieces of gold kind of going all through it. And as I was, as I was looking at this, what, the process of this art, what happens is these pots end up breaking into pieces. And instead of hiding the flaws, this particular art accentuates the flaws. It puts the pieces together and literally paints gold all the way through it. Another example looks like this. And as I saw that, I said, that is, that is a beautiful piece of art. I mean, it's more than just a broken pot. It's, it's something that has been put together beautifully. They accentuated the flaws to show the beauty of the piece of art that they created. That's what God wants to do with your life. He knows that we're broken. He knows that from the beginning, we are not who we are created to be. And he says, if you embrace that, if you come to me, I will spotlight you and shine the grace of God even through broken vessels. So I would ask you first, have you owned your sin? Do you know that you are a sinner separated from God? Secondly, have you embraced his cleansing? Have you put your faith wholly and solely in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you willing to celebrate that? Have you celebrated that you are forgiven fully by God and open to, to live a free life? And thirdly, are you willing to embrace it? Are you willing to embrace the fact that, that you are not perfect, but by God's grace, you are being perfected? When I was in college, I, I spent a lot of time in Colorado with my, my uncle and my cousins. And as I was walking uh, on a hiking trip with my, my uncle, I was just starting to walk with God in college. 
And my uncle Jim is there. Jim Smith, right? The most unique name ever. And, and he's a, like a, a rustic man. He's got a huge beard, uh, awesome guy. And as we're walking through, I'm asking him questions about how to walk with God because I never really tried until I was in college. And he said to me, learn from people, but never trust a man who doesn't limp. I was like, what, what do you even mean by that? Like, a, look for a gimp guy? Like, I don't understand. Well, what are we doing? And he's like, he's like, never trust a man that doesn't show the brokenness of God in his life. And that stuck with me. And he was referencing a moment in the life of Jacob, Old Testament character, who literally wrestled with God and was broken and restored. It's what God wants to do with you. And if you embrace it, God will use you powerfully. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I confess that I don't want my worst mistakes to become public record. <laughs> I don't want to, to be vulnerable with my weaknesses. I want to show my strengths. I don't want to show my brokenness. So Lord, I pray that you would be, make me willing to be vulnerable. You would make us willing to be vulnerable. Make us willing to receive the gift of your forgiveness through your son and be willing to say, I am broken, but by God's grace, I am being healed. I pray for our discussions that you would make them fruitful. You help us to be honest. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, hello. Welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Jacob Smith. And I'm Kevin Barra. And man, we are so glad that you're joining us. Uh, The purpose of this podcast is just so that we might look deeper into our messages and just down the road for our ministry, highlight maybe things we wish we had time to talk about or highlight events that we have coming up. Uh, Man, this week was our second week in Psalms. It was. It it was. was super fun. It was. I I really enjoyed it. It was a hard topic, though. (laughs) It was, you know, I, I got a great, fe- a lot of great feedback from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were talking about David's biggest mistake of his life uh, in, yeah. from, in Psalm fifty-one, and uh, yeah, I mean, what do you do when you blow it? When you make big mistakes? When you fail? And uh, so yeah, for a lot of our students, I just feel like it hit them right where they where they were. Um, but Jacob, you got a question from yeah. someone? Well, so part of what David, part of his process was he had to confess his sin before the Lord. And part of that was just admitting not only to himself, not only to God that there had been mistakes made, but also admitting that there was a deeper problem and that mm-hmm. his root issue is just the sin that is intrinsic to who he is. It was something that he's born with. He, he alludes to it in Psalm 51 where he says that uh, he was a sinner from birth mm-hmm. um, and from the moment that he was conceived. And, and uh, essentially, I, I was talking with a student and I had further questions about that. Now, I would just encourage anyone that's interested in that. It's the concept of original sin. Right. Uh, and it's most clearly explained in Romans chapter 5. Paul kind of goes in detail into uh, our depravity and how there is this issue that we're born with it as through Adam's sin, so all uh, were given sin. So we all are, you know, death was brought into the world. But uh, the best thing about Romans 5 isn't just that it explains that doctrine, but that it also uh, provides the flip side, the incredible hope that we have in Christ, how yeah. just as through one man's sin, death was brought in, through one man's death, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, 
life was offered to everyone freely as a, as a gift of grace. So, uh, yeah, so I would just recommend looking into that, reading that. If that was something that kind of threw you off, uh, I would encourage you just checking that out. Yeah, and a couple couple resources that might be helpful in reading a little deeper on that. Um, Moody Handbook of Theology mm-hmm. is a great resource to talk about the, some of those theological issues, um, and, uh, and it'll really help you to kind of open the door on what original sin is. Moody yeah. Handbook of Theology. That's really good. Another another piece is uh, the overall psalm is really D- David's response to God when he is confronted by a friend, Nathaniel. Mm. And really the whole thing is about repentance in large part. How do I uh, start again when I've messed up? And uh, and for sure, we, we all have original sin in us. But man, there's moments when it flares up and, and we make some major mistakes and we have to walk down this kind of path toward restoration and relationships. And and so I would just encourage you as, as you listen to these messages, if you feel hurt or you feel like you've really blown it with God, uh, you're not where you should be. We have in the, the life of, of David an example of a, a horrendous moment in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he is still considered a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And it's because he simply returned to God, confessed his sin, received cleansing, and was really able to start again with God. And so I would just encourage you. So if you if you feel like you are so distant from God that you've made so many mistakes that he wouldn't want you, I would just say this. Put your faith in Jesus. He has died for you, as Jacob has said earlier, and you are fully welcomed to start again. Um, one story that we didn't really share from, from the Bible is really the story of the prodigal son, where the son goes up and blows his dad's income, blows his estate, and when he comes back, he's he's welcome home by the Father, and that's and that's true for all of us. We we make big mistakes, but we're welcomed home yeah. by the Father. Yeah, it's powerful. It's hard, but it's there's a lot of hope. There's yeah. a lot of hope there. Um, so looking ahead for our ministry, one of the big things we have coming up uh, is Girls' Night. It is on September 29th. It starts at 6 p.m. in downtown Bryan uh, at the Grand Stafford, the theater down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, it's, uh, as you can probably tell from the name, it is for our lady folk. Yeah. It is for the women in our midst. <laughs> uh, and they are just invited to essentially go to downtown Bryan to hear from a, there's a variety of topics being discussed from stages, but it's short, really short messages because they really just want to be a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fullness, like, Really, the main thrust of the night is uh, dinner that you get after the talks. You, yeah. You're divided into small groups. You go and you have guided discussion. You get to just engage with the topic that you saw presented, talking about it with other you know girls that are walking through the same stuff, same pursuits, same issues, uh, same successes, same failures. And, and you're able to just encourage one another and learn from each other in that kind of environment. It's super yeah. powerful. We've done it last few years, and it's it's just a lot of fun. So yeah. September 29th, 6 p.m., downtown Bryan. And I would say this. Even if you have other events that you want to do that night, well, you you can do both. The, yeah. way the, the way the night is structured, you can really do both. So hope to see you out there at Girls' Night. It will be a rocking good time. Super good. Hey, thanks so much for joining us with with the Grace College Podcast. Have a great week. Talk to you later.